Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. When we think about the Lord's table, we think about communion, the Lord's supper, however you want to term it, I want us to kind of realize why this is significant. We come to take the Lord's Supper, and this isn't just something we do to go through the motions. Um, This isn't something we do out of tradition. It's not something we do as a ritual. It's not something we do to make us saved. This doesn't save us. It's not something we do to become more holy. We, we, we come, and as you see on the screen, you, you see that, that kind of the subtitle, Do This in Remembrance of Me. That, that this is a way for us to intentionally, deliberately remember all that God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. But I understand that many of you who have been in church for years and years, you've partaken of the Lord's table many, many times. And so this is not something that is maybe new to you. And one of the dangers with that is we can kind of come and we can kind of go through the motions of observing the Lord's Supper and fail to understand the significance. We can go through the motions of observing the Lord's Supper and we can take the bread and we can take the juice and we, in in our minds and we know what it stands for and we know why we're doing it. But for many of us, maybe this has lost its significance. Maybe when you walked in this morning and you saw in the bulletin that we're observing the Lord's Supper, you saw the table with everything set up down here, in your mind, you're simply thinking, oh, we're doing that today, okay. But maybe it wasn't something that you were really excited about. I told the early service this morning that when I was real little, probably six, seven, eight years old, I used to look forward to the Lord's Supper, and when I would come in and I'd see it was for the, the time for the Lord's Supper, I'd be like, yes, because I wanted to drink the juice in church. I couldn't drink anything in church any other time, but now I'm still excited when it's time for the Lord's Supper, but for different reasons, because I understand how significant this is, significant this is in the life and the health of not just a believer, but for the church, and we're going to see why as we go through the message this morning. If you have your bulletin, you'll notice again on the back as we do each week, there's an outline. And there's several things I want us to do to kind of walk through this. And the message this morning flows very smoothly into our time of invitation and then our time where we actually observe the Lord's table. And so you're going to see how all this kind of flows together. But if you're taking notes, I want us to understand why is this significant? Why do we stop? Why do we pause to observe the Lord's Supper? Well, here's number one on your outline. We need to understand that it is a time to be unified in Christ. This is a time to be unified in Christ. Now, we read the passage from Luke, but the passage we're kind of examining this morning is 1 Corinthians 11. And the verses that we normally read in connection with the Lord's Supper is verse 23 down through verse 26. It talks about what the bread represents and what the juice represents. But I want us to back up and begin looking in verse 18. Notice what God's word says. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you. Let's pause right there for a second. So the, the church at Corinth, if you know anything about the church at Corinth, they had all kinds of problems. This was a sinful church. 
I mean, in fact, as you go through the book of 1 Corinthians, there is one issue that is addressed right after another issue. They were abusing this and misunderstanding this and practicing this wrong. And Paul writes to them at Corinth to say, listen, we've got to get things straightened out. But one of the problems that they had was that they misunderstood, misused the Lord's table. One of the first things we see here that was taking place when they came together for the Lord's Supper is that they were not unified. Verse 18 very clearly says that there are divisions among you. And Paul actually says, when I hear that there's divisions among you, I believe it. Verse 19, he says, there are factions among you. There are divisions among you. See, when this church at Corinth had come together to partake of the Lord's Supper, they came, but they were not unified. And there was a problem because... What unifies us as believers and what unifies us as a church is the person of Christ. When we come together, it is not our favorite sports team that unites us. I I thought there'd be an amen or two. I know we've got some Clemson people, some South Carolina people, and then you've got the really good Tennessee people. And I just know that's not going to result in unity. Our backgrounds are not going to result in unity. We all come from different backgrounds. Our experiences are not going to result in unity because we all have different experiences. The only thing that can allow all of us to be truly unified is the person of Jesus Christ. So what this church at Corinth was doing is they were coming together and going through this ceremony that is supposed to signify unity. But in their practice, daily practice of the church, they were divided. See, the problem that Paul had with this church was that they were saying that they were unified through their actions of the Lord's Supper, but in how they operated the rest of the time, they were communicating to the world around them, we are divided. And Paul said there is a contradiction. See, the one thing, one of the things anyway that should happen when we come together is there should be unity. And that unity is possible because the one thing that hopefully we all have in common is that Christ is our Savior. And that we truly believe that on the cross, he finished it all. And so we can go around, starting in the choir this morning, working our way around. And if every single person here is truly focused on the person of Christ, from this side to the middle to upstairs to this side, if we as individuals are truly focused on the person of Christ, then we can be unified because we are all moving in that direction. We are pursuing Christ. We are desiring to be like Christ. We are focused on Christ. We are, we are attempting to live out the gospel of Christ. We want to tell other people about Christ. That is what brings unity. Is a time to be unified. So I wonder, are we unified? Are we unified? You know, no decision in a church is going to be made that's going to bring unity. No ministry can be started that's going to bring unity. No meeting can take place that is going to bring unity. The only thing that can truly bring unity, biblical unity in a church, is for us all to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And when we come together this morning for the Lord's table, that is exactly what we are doing. And so I beg with you this morning, as we partake of the Lord's table in a few minutes, focus on Christ. Look to Christ. Remember Christ. Think about all that Christ has done for you. It is Christ that brings unity. That is why we can come from different backgrounds and different experiences and be in different stages of life. And we can can all come together and worship together and sing together and experience joy together. It's because of Christ. The Lord's table is a time to be unified. 
in Christ. Number two, it is a time to be genuine. It is a time to be genuine. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 through verse 22, Paul begins kind of breaking down the, the specifics of the problem. And he says, therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. He says, when you come together, even though you say you're going to eat the Lord's Supper, and even though you say that's the focus, that's not your priority. Verse 21, for at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you. It was very common in the first century church for them to not just observe the Lord's table together, but have, to have the Lord's table in, alongside a, a, a meal. They would have basically a family meal, a church dinner together. But what, and that was not the problem. What they were doing wrong at the church of Corinth is that they were coming... And they were turning this into more of a festival than a remembrance. They were coming together and people in the church were, were rushing to get their food at this feast. And those who were the most prominent and those who had the best positions and those who had the most money were allowed to go through first. And they would take all the food and those who had nothing, the poor, the hungry, the, 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 those who had absolutely nothing would leave hungry. They were ignoring those that Christ had called them to minister to. And Paul tells them, even though you say you're coming for the Lord's Supper, you have forgotten what the Lord's Supper is all about. He basically looks at them and tells them that they had turned the Lord's Supper into a drunken, gluttonous, selfish, pride-filled feast where everything was in focus other than the person of Christ. There's no, there was no remembering of what Christ had done. There was no confession of sin. There was no reconciliation taking place with other people. It was simply going through the motions of the Lord's Supper, but in reality, that was not their intent. They were not genuine. In that moment, when they were observing the Lord's Supper, they were hypocrites. Because while they said that's why they were there, that was the furthest thing from their mind. And it is very possible for us to come in here this morning, go through the motions of the Lord's table, go through the motions of communion, take the bread, take the juice, but our hearts be far less than genuine. We can partake of the Lord's table just so other people will think our relationship with God is okay. We can come here for other purposes and, and simply be going through the motions of worship. But the Lord's Supper is a time to be genuine. So I ask you, are you genuine this morning? Are you truly focused on what Christ has done? Are you here simply to go through the motions, content to, to put on a show for everyone else with no real concern for the reality of your heart? See, when you partake of the Lord's Supper and you're not genuine, you're making the Lord's Supper a formality and a ritual that is no different than what other people in other religions do. Don't just claim Christ. Focus on Him with all of your heart. The Lord's Supper is a time to be genuine. Number three. It is a time to remember Christ's sacrifice. And this is, most of us know this. If you've been in church at all, you understand that the Lord's table, communion, is a time to remember the sacrifice of Christ. Let me read verse 23. We'll read these a little bit later when we actually partake of the Lord's Supper. But here's what Paul says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
twice we see the phrase, do this in remembrance of me. This is a time to remember the sacrifice of Christ. This is a time to remember all that Christ has done. I want you to hold your finger here and turn back with me, if you will, to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. I want to read several verses to help us remember all that Christ has gone through for us. Because we're going to remember, we don't just remember what this is, we remember not just who Christ was, but we also have to remember what Christ did and why he did it. So I want to begin reading in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2. It says, He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He did not have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Verse 4, yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our punishment for our peace was on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a, a sheep silent before his shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment and all who considered his fate. For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man at his death, although he had done no violence. And he had not spoken deceitfully. Notice verse 10. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. You catch that. The Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Over and over and over through our text, those verses that we just read, we see that he bore our sickness and he carried our pains and he was struck down by God on our behalf. He was pierced because of our transgressions. Here's what I want you to understand. Everything that Christ endured, he endured in your place. See, what this literally means is that you deserved everything that Christ went through. You deserve to be beaten. You deserve, because of your sin, to be punished. You deserve to hang on a cross. You deserve to have the crown of thorns on your head. You deserve to be pierced. You deserve to die an agonizing death. But Christ took your place. See, when we come to the Lord's table, this is a time not just to remember what Christ did, but to, for us to refocus on why Christ did it. His sacrifice was in your place. His death was in your place. He literally was your substitute. Remember the sacrifice of Christ. Number four. When we come to the Lord's table, it is a time to proclaim Christ. Look at verse 26. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. So why do we do this? Well, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, notice this next phrase, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Some churches, they have the Lord's table 
on a Sunday night or only on a Wednesday night because they just want it to be their church family who is there. And some people may ask, well, why would we observe the Lord's table on a Sunday morning when there may be visitors, people who don't know Christ, people who haven't surrendered their life to Christ, people who don't understand what we're doing? And the answer is we do this as a part of our testimony. We proclaim Christ through our observance of the Lord's table this morning. When we partake of the bread, representing the body, and when we drink the juice, representing the blood of Christ, we are coming together and in unity proclaiming, we believe this gospel. We are proclaiming to all in attendance that we believe that what the Bible says about Christ is true. That he died for you and he died for me and he rose again. We are proclaiming to the world that we believe this. So the reason why we do this on Sunday morning, and we understand there may be visitors here, and there may be people who don't know Christ here, but through our observance of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming Christ crucified and Christ risen. It's exactly what verse 26 says. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is part of our testimony. This is part of our, how we tell other people about Christ. But number five, and this is where we're going to begin transitioning into a time of invitation in just a few minutes. But this is a time to examine our lives. I want to read verse 27 down through verse 29. And I want you to see the severity and the clarity with which Paul writes this. Therefore, or because of everything else that we just read, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin. Against the body and the blood of the Lord. So a man, here's our key verse. So a man should examine himself. And in this way, after examining himself, and in this way, he should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Do you see the severity? The way that we avoid... What it says in verse 27, drink, eating and drinking in an unworthy way. And the way that we avoid eating and drinking without recognizing the body, the way that we avoid those dangerous places where we are guilty of sin against the Lord is by examining ourselves. See, what Paul is saying is before you come to the Lord's table, before you eat the bread and you drink the juice, there needs to be a time where you truly look at your heart and you look at your life and you analyze your mind and you examine yourself and you see if there is anything in you that is contrary to God and his word. It is a time for you to look at your heart. It is a time to confess your sin. It is a time for you to say, God, show me. Show me how I have wronged you. Show me how I have sinned against you. Show me where I have fallen short. Show me where I have transgressed your law. God, show me areas in my heart and in my life where I am guilty. See, the danger is in coming and going through the motions. And we partake of the bread and we partake of the juice. And we just do it out of, out of memory. We do it out of, out of just habit. But if we do that without taking the time to examine our own hearts and examine our own lives, we are guilty of sin. And that's a scary place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. So instead of simply going through the motions, we, we need to pause we have to take a little bit of time and be sure that we understand what we are doing and why we are doing it. And that our hearts and our lives are in a place where we are worthy to partake of the Lord's table. And so this morning we're going to have a time of 
invitations, but we're going to do it different. So you need to listen to be sure you understand what we're going to do. We're not going to sing an invitation song this morning, even though it may be familiar. We're going to have a time in just a moment where the instruments play. But we want to have a time where we examine ourselves. And you're going to remain seated, but I want you to pray. If you need to come forward and kneel down front and pray, you do that. In the Gospels, there's a story about a man who comes to the temple to worship and to give. And if you remember the story, the, what the passage says is it instructs the man that if he comes to give your offering to worship through giving, and you remember that there is some way that you have wronged someone else, that before you come and give your offering, before you come and worship, you go to that person and seek reconciliation prior to the worship. And I, I would say that applies here. See, the worst thing we can do is simply go through the motions and not pay attention to what we're doing. So two two challenges for this time of invitation. Number one, examine yourself, your heart, and confess. Examine your heart, confess your sin. And the whole idea of examining your life and examining your heart and examining your mind is that when the Holy Spirit shows you and brings things to mind where you are against God, where you have wronged God, you pause And you confess. And if you sin to get someone else in this room, you know what the right thing to do is, as hard as it is, is to get up and walk across the auditorium and deal with it. Ask for forgiveness. And so we want to have a time this morning where we can do just that. And I don't know if anybody's wronged anybody. But I do know we all sin. And we need to confess that. So I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. If you will, go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. And then I'll come and close us in a word of prayer in a minute. But I want you to take this time. We're not going to rush this. I want you to take some time this morning simply to examine your hearts and confess your sin. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.